Blog Talk Radio. Blessings, 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 and a gracious good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good whatever time it is in your sphere of the atmosphere at this current time that you're hearing my voice. Welcome to the It's Real Radio Talk Show. I am your host, Elder Colette James, and I am so grateful to God for another chance to join in with you in the airwaves that we may share We may share with one another our our dreams and our aspirations and and the blessing of God um, breathing on us and allowing us life yet another day. Uh, We say this very, very often at the beginning of the show, and it is a reason for that because we just really believe it to be very, very important that we instill in our listeners psyche, I guess, in their spirit, in their um, atmosphere, in their aura, that each day we are given is an absolute blessing from God, from on high. And we've got to get to the place where we do not take our lives for granted. I believe that if we value our lives, if we value each and every day as the gift that God has given us that it is, then we will live a much fuller life. We will enjoy life much more. We will make sure that we are walking in our purpose on purpose, purposely filling out the plans that God has for us, purposefully carrying out the assignments that God has given us, purposely, hallelujah, purposely impacting the lives of those around us. We are called to build legacy in the lives of others. We are called to the nations. We are called to the generations. And the only way we can fully embrace that call, we can fully embrace what God has for us is if we embrace life. Embracing life is vital to fulfilling our purpose. If we are sitting around with the woe is me and we're just wasting time and spinning our wheels and not giving any credence or thought to the beauty of life itself, then we are missing the blessing that God has given us. Each day is a gift from Almighty, and we have to get focused to recognize that for each allotted period of time, 
There are 24 hours in each day for us to mark time. This is not how God marks time, but this is how we mark it, 24 hours in each day. What are we doing with those 24 hours? How are we fulfilling the the plans and the purposes that God has for us on our lives? I'm saying, um, I, I believe that God is leading me this way to go into depth and into detail about the gift of life because of the show that we have for you today. Now, my co-host is running a little late. She had to work today, but she will be joining us shortly, Miss um, Tanya Roberts. But in the interim, I just want to kind of set up today's show. And today's show is dedicated to Representative John Robert Lewis, the distinguished gentleman from the state of Georgia. As we, especially people of color, and especially I would hope people in the body of Christ, as we remember this great man, this giant of a man who was just like you and me, a man, in human form, you know, as we remember him, as we remember his life, it is vitally important to recognize how he spent his life. God blessed him with 80 years on this earth. And within those 80 years, he utilized each and every day to the best of his ability. He made a difference. He made a marked difference in the lives of people, friends and foes alike. I mean, when I think about the name that they gave him as the conscience of the Congress, that boggles my mind because we know politicians sometimes lack consciousness. <laughs> they lack morals. They lack um the fulfillment of the reason why they were put in office. And one thing about Mr. Lewis is he was very, very quick, very, very quick to point out a moral compass that needed to be addressed, both in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, both in his day-to-day life and in his life as a young man. When I, I, I've, you know, it, it is amazing that a lot of times we don't examine a person's life until that person is gone. And I'm guilty of that. I knew of Mr. Lewis. I knew of Bloody Sunday. I knew of the Freedom, Freedom Rides. I knew of the sit-ins at the lunch counter because I'm a product of the 50s. So, you know, these things were happening and going on, but I was a little girl at the time. But since he has passed, I've like did a deep dive and become more acquainted, acquainted with his life, acquainted with his stand, acquainted even with the history of us as a people. And what I have gained out of that, I believe to be invaluable. I'm 63 years old, soon to be 64. And I I have to stop and step back and examine my life. Have have I made a difference? Have I taken a stand? You know, and, and we say this all the time, that, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. This, this, it's in most of our minds just acute cliche. 
But we've got to make sure that we're digging deeper into what that really means. You know, I I think back to the famous quote of JFK, of John Kennedy, when he was president, and he said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And, I mean, and, and it's a famous quote, but what meaning does it have in our lives? What meaning does it have that, that what John Lewis stood for, he said, sometimes you have to get in trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. What did that mean? You know, as he, as he talked and, and, you know, he, he, was, he, <laughs> he was an ex- extremely talented storyteller. As a professional speaker, I recognize and understand the, the art and the, the, um, importance of a good story. What is your story that, that you are known by? What is your story that no matter who you're standing before, they're expecting to hear this story? And he was a master at his story. He, was, he had a couple of, of storylines that he invoked whenever he was before people. First being to being a a young man, a a little boy, basically, and hearing and recognizing there was a call on his life, and and he desired to be a preacher. And it's comical, but even his sisters and his brothers, they talk about that even to this day, that John tells the story that he preached to the chickens. And he said, you know, the chickens would sometimes nod their head, you know, the chickens would kind of sometimes prance around or whatever, but he couldn't get the chickens quite to say amen. Hmm. But he would faithfully preach to the chickens because he was honing a gift that was in him. Little did he know how that gift would really benefit those of us in society 70-some years later. And it's amazing to me um, when you hear that and, and as he progressed and he got older and his sisters and his brothers tell the story that he didn't only preach to the chickens, he preached to them too. And then he tells the story of how desperate he was to go to school and to get an education while his older siblings were getting ready to go out into the field to pick cotton to work the land, he would get dressed, hide under the front porch, and wait till he saw the school bus coming up the street, and then jet out and jump on the school bus so he could go to school. You see, he, what he has done is painted the storyline of his life to help us, give us insight into the, the depth of the call that was on his life. And this is what I took from that. It was that it was vital that he got an education. It was vital that he was well-learned. He, he tells the story that he went to a library to get check out a library book, and the library denied him access because of the color of his skin. They told him he could not check out a book from that library. He wasn't allowed in the library. He couldn't check out a book from the library for the sheer, sheer fact that his skin was of a brown tone. Now, most people would just become embittered by that. He took that and used it to fuel his passion to make a difference. 
And then he talks about being introduced to to Martin Luther King Jr. and to Rosa Parks and the impact that these people had on his life. He weaves, he weaves that story. And what it should do for each of us is give us a tenacity within ourselves to want to look at our own storyline and, and look, look backwards to look forward. We need to look backwards in order to look forward. Because if we look backwards and if we are careful to look at the storyline that we have lived up to this point, we can see the hand of God in it and how he was weaving weaving, weaving our purpose and our destiny in the things that we went through. You see, he wound up in Nashville in seminary, but there was a reason he was in Nashville. It wasn't just for seminary because, see, he never pastored a church, but he did lead a flock. He led actions and the fact that he was willing to lay down his life to see the betterment of those around him, to see the betterment of the people of his ethnic group, to see the betterment of people in general. It it just, as I've listened to the stories that he has told, as I've watched the documentaries, as I have done research over the past couple of weeks, it just really intrigued me, some of the the things that I've learned about this man. And and he tells a story of when he was doing the Freedom Ride, and they got to this little town in South Carolina, and when they got off the bus, he and his seatmate, who was a Caucasian man, were both beaten. And when the police came, they asked him if they wanted to press charges, if they wanted to swear out a warrant on the people that had beaten them. And his response, I'll I'll never forget this. I promise you I'll never forget this because this blew my mind. His response was like, no, we didn't come here to cause trouble. We came here to share love, not hate. No, we don't want to swear out a warrant. No, we don't want to press charges. We came here in spirit of love. Now, I don't know many people, including myself, that could have that, that tenacious stand after somebody has beaten me. I'm bloodied. And to still stand and say, no, no, we didn't come to start trouble. We came to show love to show love, but this is how powerful that was, okay, hear me, because this blew my mind, this is something I never knew, it was powerful enough to change the life of the man that beat him, (laughs) that blew my mind, it was powerful enough him showing that mercy and that forgiveness at that appointed time literally changed the life of his attacker. And as the story goes, in 2009, now this happened in the 60s, in 2009, the same man who had beaten him, who had left him bloody, 
who was a part of the Ku Klux Klan at the time, the same man sought him out, came to his office in D.C., and confessed to him that he was the man that beat him on that day when he got off the bus and to ask him to forgive him. As the man sit there, not by himself, but with his grandson with him. See, it's amazing how we weave legacy in the lives of people by our actions that we have no idea who we're touching. So this man had changed the course of his life because he said he never forgot hearing those words coming out of John Lewis's mouth, that no, we didn't come to cause trouble. We came to show love. He said, you know, because they, they interviewed him as well, and he, he was just saying he couldn't shake that. He couldn't shake that. The man he had beaten would say, we didn't come to cause trouble. We came to show love. And it, he couldn't shake it. And it literally caused him to change the trajectory of his life. Now, you fast forward 50-some years later. And here he is standing before the man that he had attacked, but he didn't stand alone. He stood with his generations. He stood with his grandson, asking this man to forgive him with tears streaming out of his eyes. What an impression that had to give on his grandson. When the story was told, it said that the man was standing there in tears and the grandson was standing there in tears. And John Lewis told him, I forgave you a long time ago. Yes, I accept your apology. And embrace this man. And as they embraced, John Lewis himself was in tears. He said, this is the only person that ever came back to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did to you. Now imagine that. He has been beaten. He has endured all kind of hardships for years and years and years. And out of all that he's endured, only one person returned to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. But the impact that that had on that man, I guarantee you there are others out there that maybe weren't as courageous as that individual was to come and to face the person that he knew he had wronged. Maybe the other ones didn't have that courage. Or maybe by the time they got to that place of, oh, my God, I was so wrong in what I did, it was too late because they were on their way to transition to the Lord. Because what the gentleman said was he had asked God to forgive him over and over and over again. He couldn't shake it. And so he knew he had to ask the man he had wronged to forgive him. I mean, there's so much power in that. There's so much power in that. And so today I wanted to just, just like I said, dedicate the show to his memory, but not just in reflecting of the wonderful life that he lived, the life of service that he lived, his, his dedication to the nonviolent 
efforts, his dedication to his God. He, again, he may not have pastored a church, but he absolutely led a flock. He led those that he came into contact with. I, I watched something also just a couple of days ago, because as you know, his funeral, well, I don't know when you're hearing this broadcast, but this is Sunday. Uh, and Normally I don't date my shows because they're syndicated, but I, I just think it's important so that you understand the context in which I'm speaking. So today is August the 2nd. It is Sunday. Mr. Lewis was laid to rest just this past Thursday. Wednesday night, I am in Atlanta, and Wednesday night, I had the awesome honor with my granddaughter, my generation, to go and to stand in line and pay homage, pay respect to this man as he laid in state after the Georgia State Capitol. It was like, I, I, you know, I've seen people do it. Over the years, you see it done in Washington, you see it done in other places, but I've never had the, the, the ability or the option or the opportunity, that's the word I'm looking for, I've never had the opportunity to participate live. I've always watched it. Um, I've always found it fascinating to watch the homegoing services of, of some of these people to, to hear the eulogies, to hear the people's mindset about the life that they live. But this time, I just happen to be in the right place at the right time, and my granddaughter is here visiting me. And so we went, and we stood in that line, and we walked and paid homage. It took us two hours. It took us two hours, but it was so well worth it. Because I just wanted to say thank you. Because because of you, it is right. You know, they, they we've heard the story and over and over again about when President Barack Obama was sworn in on that first inaugural day, and he said, even President Obama said, one of the first people that he he wanted to greet was John Lewis, and he did. And when he greeted him, he told him. This is because of you, John. This is because of you. The fact that a black man could be sworn in as president of the United States, he said, this is because of you. See what I'm saying? When you live a life of purpose, you have no idea the footprint that that spreads out for people. For you, you, just, you just don't know. And sometimes you will never know. I've never personally, physically met John Lewis. He wouldn't know Quillette James from Adam, okay? But his life has had such an impact on mine. And now I'm allowing it to have impact on my generation. And, and it's just it's a phenomenal thing to me. It is a phenomenal thing to me. We talk about legacy all the time. Legacy is a passion of mine. And as I, I've talked about it many, many times on this show, that legacy has nothing to do with houses and cars and land. Legacy is about how did you impact the lives of those that you came in contact with. And, and just to, to see this giant of a man, you know, small in physical stature, but a giant of a man. And the impact that his life has had 
on thousands of pumps. I would dare to say millions of people, literally. And he was just a man with a strong conviction, with a strong moral compass. And he stood on his conviction, and he would not take down, no matter how many times he was jailed, no matter how many times he was beaten. I found it quite comical when he, he told, he said, I was jailed 40 times, 4-0, 40 times before I got to Congress. And then he said, and I've been jailed five times since I've been in Congress. It was like just going in the Congress didn't stop him from standing up to the injustices that was going on. He said, if you see something, say something, do something. It is just, his life just, I'm sorry, it amazes me the conviction that this man had, the, the honor, the honor, the dignity that has been bestowed upon him. And to hear him, his humility was just unbelievable, unbelievable. Because he recognized that the strength that he was given to withhold, to stand, was not his alone. He didn't sum it up by himself. He recognized that there was a greater force working within him to allow him to do what he did. He gave glory to God. Somebody asked him in one of the interviews, where do you go? I mean, when somebody is beating you, where do you go? And he's like, I I have to go to a place of love. I have to go within. And we know if you're going to a place of love, you've got to be going into, your, into the presence of God. You've got to be pressing in. I thought about Stephen in the Bible when they were stoning him, and he had the forethought to stand there and ask for their forgiveness, just as Christ did when he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For Stephen, he pressed into that place. He opened up his eyes. He saw the heavens open. He saw Christ standing there, and that gave him the courage to forgive his attackers. In that very moment, while he is being beaten, while he is being stoned to death, most of us, we can't forgive a racial slur. I mean, just some words, okay? We're ready to fight. We're ready to throw down for real. But the true general, Martin Luther King Jr., same thing. Same thing. We will not retaliate with violence. That was the message. But we will overcome the evil with love. We will overcome the evil with love. Now, you you say what you want to, but there is no way anybody can stand in those shoes without the power of God leading them, directing them, covering them. One of John Lewis's colleagues was speaking, um, talking about him, and it was um, one of the bills 
I want to say health care. I believe it was a health care bill. And there were all of these people outside the Capitol, and they were protesting against the bill. And um, and as they were walking, they, the people were just shouting out racial slurs and all kind of things. And so this one representative, I don't recall his name right now, but he said um, he kept his eyes on John. He said because he wanted to react in the manner that John reacted because he knew like his first thought and would be to retaliate at what was happening. And as he was walking, he said one of the men standing there in protest spit on him and called him a racial slur. And, and you can see because you see there there was the clip of it, and he stopped and he turned. And he looked at that man, and you could tell what he wanted to do, and I'm sure what he wanted to say, but he quickly put his eyes back on how is John Lewis handling this. And as John kept going, the man turned and kept walking, swiping his face. Now, I don't know about you. I know me. I would love to say I would have that same reaction, but I can't tell you that for sure. I would hope that if I was ever in that type of situation, I could press into the same place that John Lewis was able to press into, that that gentleman was able to press into, that place of love. I don't know. We, we don't know what we're capable of until we encounter certain things. But what I do know is how impressed I was by how he allowed the spirit of the living God to control his actions. That blew my mind. That blew my mind. And and it's just, it's a phenomenal thing. It is a phenomenal thing to see a true American hero and their stand. Again, that, that he was said to be the moral compass of the, the Congress. So here's the other thing I wanted to touch on today. Now what? So he has hit. He fought the good fight. You know, he has finished his course. He is laid up there, and I am quite sure he has heard, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But now what? Because we are still here. What is our role now? See, every time a general transitions, there's got to be other people to step up to the plate and, and take on the mantle. He passed. C.T. Vivian passed, like, within hours of one another, another civil rights general. You know, it's like, so these people are now gone. What are we doing? What are we doing to pick up that mantle? This blew my mind. John Lewis had the forethought to give us marching orders in his departure. And I want to read this to you. This is the article that um, was in the New York Times on the day of his 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 funeral, not on the day of his passing, but he had sent this letter to the New York Times and asked them to publish it on the day of his funeral. So he was still thinking about the generations. He was still thinking about what what else can I do? How else can I um, spearhead the next movement? How can I encourage those that are coming behind me? See, that's a, that's a true, true legacy. That is a true, true general. 
because he wasn't just thinking about himself. It wasn't just, okay, well, I've done mine. Now's your turn. It wasn't like that. He actually gave a call to action. It was, it was phenomenal. So I want to read this to you. Um, the heading on it is together you can redeem the soul of our nation. That's powerful in itself because that is saying that the soul of this nation needs redemption and truer words have not been spoken, okay? Because, yeah, as the United States of America, we are in big trouble. Our moral compass is so far off the mark, it is not even funny, okay? From the head down, it is just OMG. But anyway, I digress. Together, you can redeem the soul of our nation. Together, another really, really important word, together. It is going to take all of us banding together to see the redemption of our nation come to pass. It goes on to say, though I am gone, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. This says to you, do, hey, do inventory. What do you believe? What is within your heart? Where is your moral compass pointing? Though I am gone, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. Do you know in whom you believe would be my question to you before we go on? What do you truly believe? What do you truly believe? Mm. All right, so let me get into the article. While my time here has now come to an end, I want you to know that in the last days and hours of my life, you inspired me. You filled me with hope about the next chapter of the great American story when you used your power to make a difference in our society. Millions of people motivated simply by human compassion laid down the burdens of division. Around the country and the world, you set aside race, class, age, language, and nationality to demand respect for human dignity. That is why I had to visit Black Lives Matter Plaza in Washington. Though I was admitted to the hospital the following day, I just had to see and feel it for myself that after many years of silent witness, the truth is still marching on. Emmett Hill was my George Floyd. He was my Rashad Brooks, Sandra Blonde, Brianna Taylor. He was 14 when he was killed, and I was only 15 years old at the time. I will never, ever forget the moment when it became so clear that he could easily have been me. In those days, fear constrained us like an imaginary prison and troubling thoughts of potential brutality committed for no understandable reason were the bars. Though I was surrounded by two loving parents, plenty of brothers, sisters, and cousins, their love could not protect me from the unholy oppression waiting just outside that family circle. Unchecked, unrestrained violence, and government-sanctioned terror 
had the power to turn a simple scroll to the store for some Skittles or an innocent morning jog down a lonesome country road into a nightmare. If we are to survive as one unified nation, we must discover what so readily takes root in our heart that could rob Mother Emanuel Church in South Carolina of her brightest and best shoot unwilling concert goers in Las Vegas and choke to death the hopes and dreams of a gifted violinist like Elijah McClain. Like so many young people today, I was searching for a way out, or some may say a way in. And then I heard the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on an old radio. He was talking about the philosophy and discipline of nonviolence. He said we are all complicit when we tolerate injustice. He said it is not enough to say it will get better by and by. He said each of us have a moral obligation to stand up, speak up, and speak out. When you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. Democracy is not a state. It is an act, and each generation must do its part to help build what we call the beloved community, a nation and world society at peace with itself. Ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America by getting in what I call good trouble, necessary trouble. Voting and participating in the democratic process are key. The vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent you have in a democratic society. You must, excuse me, you must use it because it is not guaranteed. You can lose it. You must also study and learn the lessons of history because humanity has been involved in this soul-wrenching, existential struggle for for a very long time. People on every continent have stood in your shoes through decades and centuries before you. The truth does not change, and that is why the answers worked out long ago can help you find solutions to the challenges of our time. Continue to build union between movements stretching across the globe because we must put away our willingness to profit from the exploitation of others. Though I may not be here with you, I urge you to answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. In my life, I have done all I can to demonstrate that the way of peace, the way of love, and nonviolence is the more excellent way. Now it is your time to let freedom ring. When historians pick up their pens to write the story of the 21st century, let them say, that it was your generation who laid down the heavy burdens of hate at last and that peace finally triumphed over violence, aggression, and war. So I say to you, walk with the wind, brothers and sisters, and let the spirit of peace and the power of everlasting love be your guide. Man, I mean, seriously, what can you say behind that? Really, what can you say behind that? This man had the forethought to, even in his death, encourage us 
to keep going. Encourage us to stand up and do what's right. Encourage us to pick up the mantle that he has laid down and to go forward in that that his moral compass pointed him to. So again, I'm asking you, where is your moral compass pointing you? We can make a difference in this earth realm, but it takes us cohesively joined together, working together to bring about change. And voting is the end-all, be-all of it all. It changes the trajectory of where this country stands right now. Yes, politicians have a, a reputation of corruption, but this particular politician that I just read your you his last marching orders to us, he was considered the moral compass of the Congress. Who are you the moral compass for? Are you standing immorality in your home? Are you standing immorality on your job? Are you standing immorality in your neighborhood? Who are you? the moral compass for? And what is it that you're impassionate enough about to do something about? To love someone through their hate? To stand up, speak out in love, not just anger, not just with an iron fist, but the word of God says a soft word turns around wrath. The word has given us the strategy. He adopted the strategies of the word of God. He stood on them. And in 80 years of life, he made a difference. What is the difference that you're making in your life and in the lives of those around you? As I shared earlier with the story of the man that came to apologize, he came with his generation with him. He came with his grandson. Are you pouring into the lives of others that which Christ has poured into you? Are you willing to pick up that mantle of love and keep going? Hallelujah. I see that, that my beautiful um, co-host has joined us. I'm so glad that she's here Tanya, hey, I've just what I what you just heard was me reading um, the article that was in the New York Times that was published the day of John Lewis's uh, funeral, his home going, and he sent it to them in the last days of his life for specifically for it to be read on the day of his funeral to give us even more. Um, encouragement to keep going on. And so I just, I want to give you time to reflect on on what this man's life meant to you and on what the words that he left us with mean to you. I want to say thank you so much, my sister. You're, you're muscled, sweetheart. I, I don't know. We can barely I want hear to you. Say, can you can you hear me a little better, sis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's much better. Yeah. Say thank you, beautiful, my sister in Christ, elder, um, just for your love, and thank you for the entrance. I was listening to you, and I was in awe, and tears welled up in my eyes, and because that's very powerful. And I thought to myself, wow, how many will really stand for that right now? See, a lot of people say they want to stand, but they're not willing to take the death sentence that comes with it. And it doesn't necessarily mean death, 
that way, but it means death to a lot of things because people come after you yeah. when you stand for a purpose and you honor and you believe in something. How many of us right now can still do that? It, it matters mm. in your family, uh, with, your, with your children. Please hear me because I have a broken family. I'm broken with my children, and I'm still looking for more ways to understand that and patch it back together. But still, if that cannot be right now, I still try to speak to the ones that God put in my life that are not my biological daughters, but my daughters, my sons, nephews, cousins, anyone else who calls me auntie or want to hear what I believe in. And I'm sad, sis, because, you know, it's a matter, you know, we we cry over icons, rappers and stuff that die because you say that that rap was so real, but he had a rap all within himself, but he wasn't rapping, he was speaking. I'm sad because mm-hmm. we can lose again, we keep talking about it, tearing up grocery stores, buildings that we're going to need later on down the road that they don't care if we tear up because they're not rebuilding them. And that's why they're doing, they want you to do it so you won't have that access to things. And what he's saying is, what are you believing in? How, are you registered to vote? Do you even know what voting is? Mm-hmm. That's what's important and mm-hmm. what can cause this to come together. But we're so opinionated in our tearing up with our mask on now and, and hoodies on to disguise who we are, but you will not show your face that you may take a stand. This man, at the time, it wasn't about covert. It, he stood for what he believed in, and he didn't wear a mask. He yeah. wore who he was and what God called him to be. So many times you may not have that same platform or walk the walk with Martin Luther King, but are you walking that walk with Jesus that if something your brother ain't doing is right, that you're willing to stand up and correct it? Are you willing to say what's right or wrong? See, it's so sad to me that we can see a young man sagging his pants, but we can't say, son, pull up your pants because you're worth more than that. And the true meaning of that is this. And if you knew what it was, then you would not do it because See, I tell young men, you're handsome, and why would you stand up for that? I went to the mall today, and a young man approached me and said, excuse me, ma'am, would you support a black business? See, I was at the mall with a friend because she had to take care of some business, and I went with her as a support. And I had to look in his face and said to him, I wouldn't support you because you were a black business. I would support you because of what you said out of your mouth. I would not support you because you're a man of color like me. I will support you because you standing in front of people is not easy talking to people and believing in the product and selling that to me. See, what you don't understand is you looking at me saying a black-owned business, but I'm looking at the other side, and I'm looking at an Indian owning this business but using you as that. So don't. I told him, please don't approach me or come at me like that because it's not just black lives that matter. It's all lives that matter. See, everybody looked at it when they walked with Martin Luther King. What they were really fighting for, what I believe, was for us. See, it wasn't the the equality and all that that was indifferent with the white people. Yeah, they was treating us bad, but they got it from us treating each other bad, and they felt like they had the right to treat us bad. See, what I had to say to a friend the other day is what's so sad to me is we roll our eyes at each other because we may be of a different temper, of color of skin, hair longer, some weave, some not, whatever the case may be, but we're still jealous of each other. We hate each other, and we are 
put in some of us in position to help each other, but we won't. We'll hire a Chinese person or a white person or something like that before we hire somebody that we feel they can be good for the job. See, he stood for all people. Y'all keep thinking it was just about the black people. But what he was, and I believe Martin Luther King and him was telling us is, get our affairs in order amongst ourselves. We're powerful amongst ourselves. We have enough brain smarts and everything to have our own businesses. We have enough brain smarts to be our own doctors, anesthesiologists, dentists, and all these other things. And if they choose not to do what we feel is right, then we can serve ourselves and we can keep our community within a community like Indians, Chinese people, and any other Asians or whatever other people. But we're the most jealous of them all. We don't, we mm-hmm. say we love each other. We go to church every day. And when we can't go to church every Sunday, busting down the church doors, saying that we love God, but we hate our brother. God says, how can you say you love me and you never met me, but you hate your brother? Well, black mm-hmm. people, I'm sorry, people of color. I'm here to tell you I believe he was talking to us. I believe this man died, and I promise you he lived as he died, and that was with honor. Mm-hmm. I cried, and I didn't even know him. I cried because I seen a man that cared about us. And, Martin, and he took the vision and the dream and ran with it that Martin Luther King had. He didn't just talk about it, but he was about it. So what I'm asking again mm-hmm. is, where if we don't stop amongst ourselves as a people, each one teach one. Y'all all out there making a ruckus and saying, what well, ain't President Trump ain't doing right. But how, how many of y'all are registered to vote to change that? Mm-hmm. He already knows that we're not re- Half mm-hmm. of us are not mm-hmm. registered to vote. Mm-hmm. I went to go vote before he came into office, and I promise you this white man, and I'm going to say it like it is, brought his mother to look like she was 90 years old and some change, couldn't barely stand up, her to vote. When he went to vote, me, a woman of color, helping her stand up, and he took almost 30 minutes. They're going to get the car and didn't care that his mother was out there standing in the heat. But a woman of color wow. was holding his mother up. Mm-hmm. But he brought her. Wow. So her votes can count and matter. See, we say we care, but we don't. But we look in each other's eyes and faces, and now we can cover it up with the mask. But guess what? The eyes tell us all. Mm-hmm. We're willing to serve on these jobs for other people, but we say we can't serve each other ourselves. We can give money and thousands of dollars to help save dogs and cats on TV, but you can't even give $5 to your brother mm-hmm. or even tithe 10 in a church to help you keep going. Who are we? He was talking about us, equality amongst ourselves first. See, a lot of us, I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, man, you ain't got no words for it. Oh, man, you don't know how many times I cried about my children. You're fading out again, Pam. Can you hear me, Seth? Yeah, now we can. Man, so many times I cried about my family. I cried about my kids. Who am I to talk? 
I just have to keep running with the vision. If God puts somebody in my pathway, that's my daughter. That's my son. That's my mm-hmm. nephew. If you ain't doing right, I'm here to tell you. See, you don't like me because I tell you the truth. I look at you and I say, we free? And you still wearing your hair like that? We free? And you still talking crazy like that? We free? But you still sagging your pants like that? But you want me to respect you. And now you want to stand on what he stood on? And and take it like you running with the vision, but you running with it nasty. And you running with it wrong. Please don't take somebody else's vision and taint it or distort it. Now all of a sudden black lives matter. But when I see you in the streets, you don't even speak to me, but you'll speak to a white person before you speak to me. If I have a business, you'll steal from me. If I have a church, you won't even give to me. But you want me to give you the word. But you can think of all the excuses in the world why you can't. Wake up, people. Because we're asleep. Still asleep. And God is taking his children home. And he's given us the tools and utensils, the know-how, the everything, how powerful we are. So many inventions have come from us. But we can't help one another. We're so jealous and so caught up because you dress better or in your mind she looked better. But you're just as beautiful. But you won't show me because you're scared that I'm going to take over. But you call yourself my brother or my sister. No, you're not. That's how I feel about it, sis. I feel like when they served, they served with a purpose. And when they died, they died with a purpose. And you guys keep thinking it's about the white people treating us bad. I believe they were speaking about us treating each other bad. And when we wake up and believe in each other and love each other, as people of color, because there's so many, much more of us than it is of them. It's not just about treating them bad, but it's about respecting each other. Once you respect each other, then can't you respect somebody else? Or expect that same respect? How can you expect somebody to respect you? Then you'll call that person an N-word or no good. You talk about Shaquita on food stamps, but you ain't trying to show her how to come off. Hmm. Where are we at? I love everybody. I'm not perfect. God knows I'm not. But one thing about it, I'm not telling you I don't get mad. When I get mad, I get mad at all colors. I don't care what color you are. When I got something to say, I, I don't care what color you are. But when I work, I try to give you love. I try to treat you kind. But at the same time, you roll your eyes at me. Or take from me like I'm nothing. Where is the respect? And how can we ask for respect if we don't give it? Mm -hmm. And the next time you go looting, ask yourself, are you ready to vote? Change it that way. Amen.
Amen. So I believe that he was talking to all of us. I think it, I don't think it was just isolated just to us as a people or just to the Caucasians. I believe that, as he said, we have to work together to do this. One thing we did say that I totally agree with, though, is that if we don't respect one another, how can we expect someone else to respect? It definitely has to start with us, among us, for it to spread out outward. And in it, as you were speaking, it took me to the Word of God when it said judgment begins in the house of God first. First, so you know if. He he lived such a poignant life, and like I said, and even in death, he was still calling us together. He was still calling us to get in good trouble, necessary trouble. He was still calling us to take the stand that we need to, but recognizing and understanding that you have to work together to accomplish things. We can't. A house divided cannot stand. So if we can't work together within our own race, within our own space, how do we expect others to align themselves with us and work together with us for the betterment? So it is vitally important that we come together as a people. Amen. But again, I'm asking everyone, please, where is your moral compass? What are you passionate enough about to take a stand for and to do it in love? This is the It's Real Radio Talk Show where we deal with real talk on real issues. But all of our realness is steeped in the word of God. It's steeped in what, I don't care what the topic is. If we can't tie it back to Jesus, if we can't tie it back to our heavenly father, then all we're doing is clinging symbols. We're just making Amen. noise. Amen. We're just making noise. Amen. So in in all we do, we've got to be able to pull it back together in the love of God. And that means one for another. Amen. Within our own race and with outside races. We've got Amen. to learn that it's a cohesiveness. We all bleed red blood. All bleed red blood. And as I talked about, and we all got 90 seconds to go, but as I talked about the freedom ride where his, his seatmate was a Caucasian man and they were both beaten, okay? They were both beaten. So we've got to learn to embrace and love one another. Stop judging people on the color of their skin if you don't want to be judged by the color of your skin. Period. You cannot ask for someone else to respect you and you're not respecting yourself. So, again, we're out of time, but I would ask you, in honor of this great man, to examine yourself, examine your heart, examine your motives, examine what you are doing in the legacy that you are building in the lives of those around you. And then hear his heart and then hear the heart of God. And pick up your cross, pick up your mantle, and do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. In love. In love. That's key. Amen. We are out of time. I thank and praise God for today's show. Um, I pray that you guys will share it. 
Um, I believe that we covered some good stuff on here today. And, um, again, I just I wanted to pay homage to a hero, a true American hero, someone that believes in the, the sanctity of this nation. And he did not believe it just for one group of people. He believed it for everybody. That's what equality means, that we're in it together. And so we have to believe it for all, not just for one. Amen. Amen. Sis, can you pray us out, please? I just want to say, Heavenly Father, thank you for another day. And again, thank you for breathing life on us today, that we can have another day to repent and do even better than we did yesterday. I just want to ask that you see past all of our faults and see our needs. And I don't believe that he was standing just for blacks, but I believe that he was telling us that we had to come together as a nation, each other, and love each other and respect each other. And in order to do that, that's the way that people, others will respect you. If you want love, you give love. If you want respect, you give respect. If you want to be treated equal, then you treat others as equal. I'm not telling you it's always yeah. going to be good through the situation, but I want to thank you, Lord, for what it is, leading us, guiding us, protecting us, and don't take your Holy Spirit from us. We love you, you guys, and keep it real during this week. Each one, teach one. We love you, and be blessed. Amen, amen. Well, blessings, blessings, blessings. Stay safe out there. This this pandemic is on the upswing in, in a vicious way. So please, stay safe. They covered. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We love you. Love you, sis. I love you, beautiful. I love you too. Right back at you. Let's keep it real.